0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host, and we have a great show for you this evening. The first hour is actually a pre-record, but you're not going to be able to tell because it's going to to sail right into the second part with Charles Lear. The first guest tonight is Philip Mantle from the UK, and the reason we're pre-recording is because of the time zones, of course, over in England. It would be too late over there at the normal live time. So like I said, the first hour is with Philip Mantle. He's gonna be talking about his new book uh, where he looks at UFO landing cases in the UK and also uh, one, I believe, in Ireland. And this is uh, long before the modern era of UFO sightings began back in 1947. Guest two in the second hour, Charles Lear, a longtime blogger for our website, Podcast UFO. And he has a new book, The Flying Saucer Investigators, And which that is about uh, people that are involved in the mystery of uh, flying saucers, as well as the investigators and witnesses. And the gold, this is starting at the golden age of flying saucers, which began back in uh, 1947, what they call the modern uh, UFOs, as they say, Uh, not the ancient aliens or whatever. Uh, but anyway, the blog that Charles wrote for us this week is called When UFOs Were Flying Disks. And a lot of that is about um, hoaxes that people have done over the year, which is unfortunately a sad part of uh, of ufology. All the, the hoaxes. Now it gets easier and easier every day with um, CGI. There's some great ones out there that look so real, but they're not. And uh, it's too bad. Uh, some, right? This is CGI. Uh enjoy it and but a lot of them not a lot of them but uh, some of them are out there are uh, cgi fakes and hoaxes so just be careful when you're looking at you know places like youtube and things like that if you're looking for the real deal tomorrow night wednesday night uh the 15th june 15th at 8 p.m uh live on the everything else show is becky ferrera and she's a science writer and she is going to be on talking about the possibility of life on Jupiter's moon, Europa. And with that, we are going to get the show. This is for tomorrow night, and the link will be down into the uh, text of this show below and also on my YouTube channel. And here we go with our great guests from the UK. Philip, welcome to the show. Yeah, good evening, Marty. Nice to speak to you again. Always nice to speak to you as well so uh thank you for joining us and uh let's talk about your book how many books have you written all together
1: i don't know you know <laughs> it, it, some some might say enough <laughs> <laughs> you know but yeah. uh I, I you know i've done about six, six or seven books but then I did, I did some little booklets for uh a younger audience many years back so i, I don't know if they're if you classed them as well um and i've 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 written some books and then a few years later later I've, I've done a revised edition of the same way you know brought it up to date oh so, I see. yeah so you know I'm, I'm still going i think i might still have one or two more left in me so we yeah. shall see
0: yeah now uh the children's book i think that's great that you have written that yeah. and there's a few out there there's uh i met someone recently that is sort of writing in that way um katie cook she's uh, a yeah, known yeah. country western but she's also interested in the topic and she's writing children's books and I think it's a I, I believe it's a, a very good thing to start out young uh, about the possibility of you know not not saying again I, I know you wouldn't be the type to say no these are aliens from Reticuli or something like that I I, uh, I know you you always will you have a good level head so I'm sure your books are really good might as well um, let them take a look at a young age and and get the curiosity going.
1: Yeah, I've always found young people probably, you know, are a better audience. Certainly when speaking in front of them, they seem to ask more intelligent questions than the adults sometimes. Oh, yeah. A, yeah, that was a long time back, and it was a publisher who were doing a series of books, and they they asked me to sort of proofread something, and I said, oh, you know, it, with every greatest respect to your authors they've got a lot of things wrong so they invited me down to london and i told them what was wrong with it and they said well will you write it i said yeah fine so you know we were we were up and running
0: that's great that's great so um i understand that you started back in 1980 which wow you're going back 42 years now so what Uh, spark, but you had an interest before, did you? Before that, yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, as far back as I can remember, Martin, I always had an interest in all things paranormal, uh, Uh, you know, ghosts and that kind of thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. I used to live just outside of um, a city called Leeds in the north of England in West Yorkshire, and I I was fortunate, just uh, the lady that lived opposite us was my best friend's grandmother. Uh, and she used to go to the uh, the local spiritualist church. And now and again, I would, you know, I tag along with her, And I've, I found it fascinating. Uh, didn't necessarily agree with everything they said, of course, but uh, nonetheless, it was great. And, and I don't know about when you were at high school, Martin, but I know for us after the, the summer recess, when we went back to school, the teacher would often say, All right, you know, stand up one at a time and tell us what you did during the summer holidays some people went you know overseas others were riding their horse what did you do philip oh no you know (laughs) Uh, i went to the spiritualist church sir and uh, it wasn't a great one for getting a girlfriend at school (laughs) i can assure you you know um but that's how it all started i and um i was also you know fascinated by the space program and astronomy in general and, and still do keep a, a passing interest in it. And, um, I read one book on astronomy. I have no idea what it was called. And he had one chapter in it mentioning UFOs hmm. and it pretty much dismissed the subject, Martin, which I found peculiar because elsewhere in this book were some very hypothetical, you know, astronomical, um, things i thought well you you'll accept them as possibilities but not ufos found that strange but it sparked the interest so i left high school in 1974 at the age of 16. no idea what i was going to do but i still had this 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 burning interest so eventually i ended up in in uh, late 1978 over into the over the winter into 1979 i ended up working in west germany with a friend of mine couldn't speak a word of the language i mean not one word and um, so I, I telephoned my mom and said mom can you send me some books to read uh, and she sent me a box of books and they were all about ufos martin and a whole box full so i would sit there on a night you know reading away so when when i came back in 1979 i had a bit more of a uh, a grasp on the subject still very naive in that respect and like i said i lived just outside of the city of leeds and Leeds then and, and still does now publishes a newspaper on an evening and it's called the yorkshire evening post and my auntie who lived just around the corner from us she brought the newspaper around one evening and said philip have, have you seen this and there was a small advertisement for the formation of the yorkshire ufo society it was coming up that sunday and there was a meeting in leeds so i caught the bus i didn't drive in those days and on a sunday everything used to close here in the uk martin i found this this building where and i found this gathering there were about 20 30 people there and and the yorkshire ufo society w- was set up by two brothers uh, mark and graham birdsell and they put on a presentation um because they'd obviously been involved for a, a few years already and that was it martin i was hooked you know, I felt, I felt like this was the right place at the right time. I felt like I could come home in some respects, uh, still very naive. Of course. I thought I'll read a few more books, maybe write a few letters to people and I'll know everything I want to know, you know, and that, and then, you know, that's 40 plus years ago and I'm still asking the same damn questions now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And that, yeah. that's how it all began literally. Uh, so I joined the Yorkshire UFO society. I think my membership fee for the whole year was about two pounds it It's about <laughs> you know three dollars mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and mm-hmm. we were up and running and that and that that that
0: was me well um in all those years, have you ever personally had our UFO sighting I'd seen two things
1: um where we live our county is split up into four it, it's north, southeast and west Yorkshire in North Yorkshire. We have the yorkshire dales national park a beautiful part of the world and there was an area there in the early 1980s uh, outside of the town of skipton uh, above a little village called carlton simply called calton Moor. you know you drive through the village go up the other side and it's moorland heather uh the there's there's very few uh, houses it's mainly for game birds you know grouse pheasant that kind of thing so there isn't any sheep or cows and for whatever reason martin in and around these hills and dales we had a lot of ufo sightings and a lot of them reached us so we would go there on occasion sometimes we'd organize a, a sky watch other times uh, graham birdsell sadly no longer with us graham would phone me and say, do you want to go to count for an hour and it was about 90 minutes drive I, I i didn't drive at that point so graham and i were on calton Moor one night and there's a, a place where you can park the car and you can see the whole moor in front of you there's not a building in sight martin no lights no nothing and we were chatting away you know about half past 12 one o'clock in the morning talking about the football or whatever and then being out across the, the moor, this light appeared Graham looked at me and I looked at him and I thought, well, there's nothing there that we know of. So we jumped in the car. Now, those that know Graham or did know him, he used to drive like a maniac at the best of times, Martin, you know. So we're literally tearing across the moorland, pitch black. Graham's driving. I'm looking out of the window. Uh, And at one point, all these fields are all surrounded by what we call dry stone walls. So they have... You know walls made of stone but there's no there's no concrete or or, or mortar holding them together and um i don't know whether the wall was down or it was a a gate that was open but i could see right down this little valley and and hanging in the sky um not not miles away i mean right there and in your face was like a cartwheel of lights it's Hmm. almost as if you got the london eye cartwheel and stuck it in the sky and it was there and it was massive and i mm. screamed at graham so he finally brought the car to a halt and we, we jumped over this wall but it had gone graham was as mad as hell because he hadn't seen it because he was trying to keep <laughs> us on the road huh? and, and there was a road that used to circumnavigate the whole moor so we drove on this road we went all around uh, i managed to persuade him to slow down at one point and <laughs> but we never saw anything again that night so what it was i don't know but it was fairly typical with the sight of things that were reported in and around uh this area that we call calton Moor uh, near skipton in in, in north yorkshire i make of it what you will martin i i have no idea i don't talk about it much because graham's passed away sadly so mm. he, he can't confirm it and we don't photograph it i mean my camera was in the boot of the car you know uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know but, so uh, did that light with the was the formation really was it like a a very unique formation and symmetrical and all that? Absolutely, I you know
1: yeah. I don't know if you've seen you know two thousand one the space odyssey the moon mm-hmm. where they have the space stations that's yeah. circular. People like that, right? It Was like the London Eye, a big big Catherine wheel, just stationary there, multicolored you know uh, a complete uh, and I don't, I don't know what it was there is yeah. nothing there martin there's nothing on that more that could account for it i mean absolutely zero mm. um at the far end of the moor, for example there used to be a, a gentleman that used to run a cattery so you you know take your cat there while you leave it there while you go on holiday um he'd had a sighting and um we we interviewed him sometime before this when you come out of his house the 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 moor just fell away behind you and he said Philip I had a routine every night you know no matter what the weather I used to do one last check of all the the, I don't know what you put the cats in you know but he said I did it every night you know without fail and said I come out one night and I check this and I check that and I turn round and there's the he, he lived in a stone cottage and he said there are these five huge orange lights now again i'm not talking about little things in the distance i'm talking literally right behind his house and he said all i can describe it as they were doing aerial acrobatics hmm. right behind the house and he said I, you know i've no idea what the i told so these were the kinds of things that were reported um in and around these areas all, all kinds of things but we made ourselves very visible in these areas martin because it's pre-internet days. so we would hand out flyers to local police stations reference libraries even the local pub there used to be a little pub called the swan in carlton village put a flyer and we asked them if we could put it on their notice board and it was always amazing when people would contact us we'd always ask them how they found us so we know which, which things were working and which things weren't, mm-hmm. and you know, we weren't in a telephone directory or anything like that. Um, but, uh, but lots of things did come our way and we managed to see it ourselves. Well, I did anyway, and Graham didn't unfortunately. Um, but it was our hope and intention to get up close and personal and photograph it, but we never managed to do that. I'm afraid.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, one of the, the ways that I've had, conversations with people it's kind of funny but wearing uh a ufo t-shirt or hat and people just open up and start talking about it. it's pretty interesting in the different ways that uh you know but it's so many people which is really amazing that either had some type of sighting or their relative did or yep. a friend or something like that so and it's easier today than ever you know with um because of the stigma Uh, Being less and all that. Earlier, I mentioned to you that you probably don't go say that these are little green men. You know, you know where they're from. But I just wanted, in that same realm, I wanted to uh, uh, talk about this article that I was sent um, from a listener, and this is in the New York Times. And NASA plans to join UFO research efforts, efforts which I think is is great and all that. But this is written by Kenneth Chang, and this is his first line. UFOs almost certainly are not alien visitors buzzing buzzing the Earth uh, skies, um, you know. It starts out like that, like uh, he knows what they are. Yeah, you know he yeah. he knows what they are. They're not. They're most certainly not alien visitors, and and I find that kind of funny that there are people like on both sides of this, but he already made up his mind that they're not. And, yeah,
1: I, I mean, you can be honest and say, in my my opinion and that's all it yeah. is but he's he's trying to say that as a fact right you know and, and it's not a fact that's his his, his opinion uh, and yeah. uh you know I could say you know I, I believe you know aliens are you know little fairies at the bottom of the garden but it's not a fact that would be my own opinion yeah you know yeah and um, but it's unfortunate when they start like that and I think you know when we get any official body uh as significant as NASA, involved in the subject i mean people have been calling for it for years for decades i think back in the 70s nasa were asked to get involved in the subject and and they declined um perhaps they saw how project blue book was run and it wasn't that great and and they didn't want to get involved in anything of that nature but now times have changed of course and Mm -hmm. uh, especially when the department of Defense. Are trying to break down the stigma whether you believe them or not it's a different matter i can only quote what they've said but they're trying to break down the stigma um certainly from you know military people military personnel to report their sightings to them and it's something we've battled against uh, as civilian researchers for decades is the stigma
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um you know I, I remember speaking to a number of people and they would not say no no you've they, they would not go on the record not because they didn't trust me but it was it was the stigma uh um, um, but we're in an era now where you know the stigma is vastly reduced compared to what it used to be so that can only be a good thing martin you know when, when when you see a lot of the mainstream media taking the subject seriously like they did in the middle of the 1990s when dr john mack uh forward and said there's something to this and then you know you're doing it a disservice by just dismissing it you then had a lot of the media take a serious look at the subject plus we had the x-files which helped you know the tv show was growing great guns Yes. yes and and you had a harvard professor a pulitzer prize winner as well um saying look guys you know there is something to this subject uh, and similarly now we've got the department of defense you had the congressional hearings whether you believe that it will amount to anything or not doesn't really matter at this moment in time what it has done as far as the general public's concerned and a lot ne- it never will be all it's persuaded the mainstream media that perhaps we should look, take a a serious look at this subject what, what they used to call it here um martin was a silly season subject huh. And the media, of course, in the summer here, uh, we have no football, football season's finished, Parliament is in recess, so they were looking for stories. And, and that's when they said, oh, it's a silly season subject that. So when I was a conference organizer, I always had the conferences in the summer. Because i knew i could probably guarantee getting some media attention because the football season and the finnish and parliament was in recess you know so <laughs> but now it's not like that you know I've, I've been speaking to a gentleman just just today who runs a very very highbrow uh public, and i mean highbrow publication it would be the last place you would think of of, of detailing ufos or having an article about ufos uh, and he, he he's considering uh publishing something in it I mean it's astonishing um and let's hope it lasts shall we
0: yes and that, that's a very good point about it lasting because you know you you look like now if if you I try to stay away from the news as much as possible but if you look at the news um they're hardly you know ukraine comes up like way way down and and it's still going on and there's still you know Unfortunately, people dying for who knows what, uh, a big ego, uh, Putin and all that. But uh, what I'm getting at is I'm hoping, you know, this has public interest right now. Yep. And we're, we're so ephemeral that it's here and gone so quickly. And I'm just, you know, part of me wonders if they just want to drag this out until it becomes nothing. Um, you well, know. we'll
1: have we'll have to wait and see, but but it's yeah. it's still in the public domain. For example, on daytime television here today, we had uh, Britain's astronaut Major Tim Peaks, interviewed live in the studios, and he's not ruling out ET. Oh. he's he's yeah. he's opening remarks with the opposite. That's good. That's what it should be. That. Yeah, he's he's opening remarks, well, the opposite to that that article you have just read out, and he's they they don't appear to be you know of earthly manufacturer he's not saying he knows anything you know he's just that was just voicing his opinion but uh he's a bona fide astronaut you know he's been on the space station um i i was i was surprised to be honest that you know what he had to say but you know so that's that's going to make headlines in in many different places uh, and we'll see how long it
0: lasts right right now we're going to be talking about your book but before that um besides what we're talking about now, these last couple of minutes, what other things have you seen change since you started to look at the topic back in 1980?
1: Oh, all kinds of things have changed, Martin, you know, certainly the stigma that's, Mm that's been a biggie. I mean, I remember when I was trying to research my first book, which was on uh, abduction accounts in the UK, the amount of people who just would not talk to us, Mm. you know, I mean, I have a, a file full of letters that I kept, you know, because there's no internet in those days, Martin, you either had to phone someone or write to them or right. get, in your, get in your car and go visit them. Mm-hmm. So the initial contact was mainly made, um, in the post, you know, writing to people. And there's and one lady who was in the, uh, <coughs> was in my files and i wrote to her back in 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 the late 1980s early 1990s and i knew she'd had an encounter but she didn't actually reveal it for 20 30 years you know um but what had happened was the stigma had changed you know she felt confident that she could do that so that's that that's a good thing and of course uh, the sharing of information is much easier today um, than it's ever been because of the technology that we have at our disposal. I used to be the Moulton representative for England, and mm-hmm. and the head guy at Moulton then was Walter Andrus, uh, and I I used to write to Walt, and I remember him saying at one of our conferences, he says Philip writes to me faster than I can reply, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well now we've got email and and marvelous things like like we've got this technology you and I are speaking with today, and. Uh, I still, I still think it's fantastic. I'm a Yorkshireman. I'm born and bred in Yorkshire. We're known for being tight with our money, Martin. So I think it's amazing that I can speak to people around the world free of charge. You know, it's, it's, it's great. Um, So those two things, you know, the technology in some degree has helped enormously. Um, On the downside, uh, like when I first began, I joined my local UFO group. And there used to be lots of them throughout the uk plus there was a national organization as well where they've pretty much not all of them but most of them have gone you Mm. know they used to hold monthly meetings publish their own little newsletters i mean they would have you know uh, had some fascinating information in them Uh, and we made our own little magazine um you know it started off with about 30 copies and uh, I look at it now and think, oh, my God, did we actually used to charge money for these things? You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, there's been pluses and minuses in, in that respect.
0: Yeah, that's right. And, uh, uh, you know, then the, it's a double edged sword. You know, it really is because, you know, you can get so much information. But what is the real information? You know, that's that's the tricky part, you know so uh you know but you're right about i mean we're here you are i don't know how many thousand miles away you are from me and here we are recording i mean who would have ever thought that you know back in 1980 that we could do something like this you would have Pretty thought it science,
1: science fiction would you not? yeah
0: and were you a fan of science fiction as well a lot of people were you know early on that started to look at UFOs. um a little bit
1: not 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 overly interested and still still aren't to be honest i've read a few science fiction books but mm-hmm. only a handful uh, yeah. i was more of a horror movie fan and mm-hmm. um our, our local cinema in wakefield used to have a, a, a you could join it and they had uh all night horror showings so you go when when the main fit there was no multi-screens there you know i had three screens and uh, so when the, once the main features had finished at night all those weirdos would pile in and, and watch a stream of horror film what used to be peculiar about it though uh martin just to lighten it in between they used to show cartoons <laughs> <laughs> uh, so funny. i, I yeah. preferred horror films rather than science fiction uh yeah. although one of my favorite movies of all time is a science fiction film and that's the original version uh of uh the day they stood still
0: oh yes uh, yeah
1: um so um but no not a, not a not a great fan of science fiction no but it's, mm-hmm. you know i i like some of it but
0: no yeah now i was up uh, i remember talking to someone in england oh, i don't know maybe five or six years ago and they said well you know there's not a lot of sightings where i live because of the weather and um is that do you have a, a a lot of cloudy rain days well there where you're well, at
1: well you know we get a bit of everything here in the uk I, you know I, I don't think you can accuse the weather <laughs> blame the weather uh, it's yeah. I mean, certain parts of the country are renowned for its bad weather they always take make fun of manchester as mm-hmm. always raining because manchester is at the top of the pennine hills and of course we get a lot of uh, weather systems coming in from the west and when they reach the hills of course the only way that the weather systems can get any higher is to dump whatever water they're carrying and it usually ends up in Ma- on manchester you know uh
2: <laughs>
1: it's a great city by the way it is a, a truly great city so but no i mean i, I don't think I, you can't blame the weather you really can't. i mean it's a beautiful day here today so i've got the t-shirt on martin oh yes yeah, you know
0: that. yeah 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 so i uh, uh, you know you mentioned you um, know other things, and one of the things you think about when it comes to abductions or experiencers, whatever they, it it, it's, it seems to be lighter in basically Europe than in the United States. Seems like there's a lot of people that are claiming they're experiencing, um, you know, abductions that type of thing. And I know you wrote that book early on. Would you say that's accurate, or would you say that there's a lot of people up in in Europe or England that talk about having these experiences. I, I don't
1: know. It's it's difficult to say that, Martin, because we don't know how many accounts have gone unreported. You know, I know from my own research that like I said, I've got a file from back from a I did I did a, a big feature for one of the daily newspapers once and it encouraged people to write to me. Uh and they you know they wrote to me in their droves um and these were people who had never reported their, their these incidents beforehand. So it's always difficult to say there's more of this here and more of that there, because there's a great deal that we, we I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I did some TV work last year. <coughs> and during lockdown, when we were allowed to to come out, a local guy contacted me and says, you know, Mr. Mantle, I saw you on the TV did realize you, you you're quite close to where i live i've got something i want to come and show you so round he come now this was his wife's grandfather uh was deceased and he said because this area where we live uh martin was a big industrial area like, like i said my father worked down the coal mine all his life there was mills and factories i worked in a factory and um he says his wife's grandfather had been a a mining engineer. So he would design the lift shafts and and all this kind of stuff. And before he died, he wrote his memoirs. It's not a huge, great volume of work. Uh, And he, he printed 10 copies out for the members of the family. And he said it's split into two parts. The second part is about his life as a mining engineer. And he said, don't read it Philip cause it's dreadfully boring. It really <laughs> is, you know, but his first part is, is about his life at and ha- where he was born, ha- where he was brought up and he was brought up just outside of Manchester, uh, which is less than 40 miles from here. Hmm. And the right smack bang in the middle of this memoir is the biggest chapter in it. And it is called the encounter. Hmm. And it goes back to 1911 so this gentleman and his and his friend he was nine years old at the time were on their way to a park one morning a local park uh, this these were days when you still let your children out on their own martin you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> not like today yeah. and off they went and he said we come across this clearing and he said there is this thing on the ground it's like a cigar-shaped thing and they approached it and a door opened and these humanoids appeared and he said he described them as almost um oriental or asian southeast asian Mm -hmm. because of the clothing they were wearing and they even had a even had a little turban on and they went inside it was shown around they were conversed and see you later on you go and this is 1911 and it appears in this little self-written memoir that this gentleman wrote for his family and his family only so the chances are he never told us so. Uh so it shows you what is lying around, Martin, that's never been reported before. Wow. And and that is one of them. I wrote an article about it. Uh, and i i some people say, Oh, these old cases, I'm sick of sick. I find them fascinating personally, you know, um, because yes. there was there was no literature from which he could copy this, there was no flying sources, you know. And, mm-hmm. and why do it? why why do it if it's only for your own your own family that you're leaving this for i just that, give you an that's example
0: right. that's a that's a great and we're going to be talking about that i want to show you this first because i found it really interesting this is uh in 1796 and it explains about it's hard to see here that um and this was i i can't remember where and i thought it was in off england on a ship the simon perkins diary uh october 12 1796 you can google it and it talks about um a, a ufo uh, that is like a ship in the sky yeah and those are all fascinating to me
1: well let, let me read you one little instance from the book if i okay may. sure yeah
0: please um
1: it's in chapter one it's actually on page six and it's an extract from something called the british magazine published in 1767 wow it's on page 500 and uh, it's an extract of a letter from a chap in edinburgh so if somebody's written to this magazine so excuse the lang the the, the terminology because this is the way they used to talk in those days mm-hmm. it says we hear from perthshire that an uncommon phenomenon was observed on the water of isla near cooper angus preceded by a thick dark smoke which soon dispelled and discovered a large luminous body like a house on fire but presently after took the thought the the form of something pyramidal and rode forwards with impetuous i can't pronounce that next word but it moved forward uh at this pyramidal object and this is 1767. wow I'm, i mean i love these a, stories yeah so for for me You know, these these stories uh, are are fascinating and people will class them as folklore and history and legend and and rightfully so. But what it does show is that despite what we might think today, these kind of encounters are are not a modern day phenomena. Mm -hmm. In all likelihood, Martin, in 200 years from now, people might pick up copies of, of the UFO literature that's been published today and class it as folklore, you know, we might wow. never thought it, of that,
0: but yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: but uh, and I'll, I'll give you another little thing about finding things. A few years back, I was contact, contacted by a film company in, in the USA. They made TV movies. Mm-hmm. One of their clients was a lady who was a private investigator and she passed away. And her son had been going through her possessions. And in her files, there was one file marked Roswell. Hmm. In this file was a VHS videotape and some paperwork. So he played the videotape. On that video is an informal interview with a gentleman by the name of Deputy Charles Forgus, retired. He's now, he's now deceased. But. What the deputy went on to say, and, and as the, the camera pans around the room, you can see his, um, his stripes from being in the military in the forties during the war pictures of him as a young man in his police uniform. He didn't come from Roswell. He come from a place called big spring in Texas. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to say, he said, uh, in 1947, we've been looking for a guy cashing false checks and had been caught and put in the local jail in roswell and me and my sheriff went to pick this prisoner up and en route we heard about the incident on the police radio we managed to find the location i'm cutting a long story short here we we Mm -hmm. we saw the recovery of the the object this thing had crashed into the the wall the cliff wall we saw the dead creatures so we weren't allowed to view it for long but long enough before we were politely but firmly asked to leave the area and he said we went and picked up our prisoner and went back to to texas and um he says me and the sheriff never really talked about it again now we published this article published an article about the the late deputy forgus uh, and eventually we we ended up speaking with his son Hmm. and he said my father was in the, the 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 army i believe it was before uh, and uh, I've got his military discharge papers, for example. He says he came straight out of the military, straight into the police force, and he says he told us about this uh, this this thing back in the nineteen fifties. But of course, mm. in the in the fifties, Martin Proswell was dead and gone. He had fifteen right. min- he had fifteen minutes of fame. wasn't right. any books, newspapers, magazines, so he can't have read it anywhere.
0: Not until nineteen eighty,
1: exactly. Mm. So, and that was lying around in a former private investigator's files um, isn't that
0: amazing and yeah. so that kind of it sort of backs up the theory that there were two uh there was the debris field and then there was also another like some people have speculated the pod that released from the you know the the craft uh I think Stanton Friedman thought there were it was a collision of two but uh you know I don't who knows what but still that's another confirmation about the bodies and that people have talked about
1: yeah and not only that when when people talk about oh it's a roswell it's another old case but here's an, here's another possible piece to the puzzle i'm not saying this gentleman's is, is telling the truth or he's lying all i'm saying is here what we've uncovered here's what this gentleman had to say it's on the tape the paperwork that was in the file was actually a transcript of the conversation
0: mm-hmm. and we
1: published it and you, you you know I add that information to the research that's already been done you can either accept it or dismiss it that's entirely up to you but that's Mm -hmm. the kind of so there's two examples of things that were lying around that nobody had a clue about we've got this mining engineer from 1911 and we've and we've got you know a a former police deputy sheriff deputy sheriff from big spring in texas not big springs big spring Mm -hmm. and and i, I even I I, I I contacted various locations in big spring and they sent me a, this little make a laugh martin they sent me a photograph of the sheriff's office from the late 1930s and it just looked like looked like john wayne was going to be sat there with his feet up you know in complete cow, cowboy outfit you know yeah, It it was, yeah. it was that kind of place and i can't imagine in 1947 it would have been much different
0: yeah Boy, the coincidence of all that coming together, this person yep. uh, in route when this this whole thing was heard on the police radio and all that. That's that's fascinating. And, you know, you're making such a good point because right after 1947, it was you know put away as a weather balloon and not talked about. And that was back right after the war, World War II, where people listened to the government no matter what they said, because they just got through that you know horrendous war and so okay the government says it's the weather balloon that's what it is move on and so you know for this to to show up like that is is quite incredible um, yeah,
1: absolutely so, but, yeah. it, but, but when we were talking about are there more more cases in this country compared to that country all i'm saying is we it's, it's not a, it's not a conclusion we can reach because we don't know how many things go unreported all we do know is that there are a lot of things going reported. And that these these those were just two examples of them. I, I could go on all day and give you others, you know. Um, but um, we're a more conservative race in this country than perhaps our, our cousins in the United States as well. Uh, and that plays a part of it, you know, as, 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 as well, Martin. Um, so yep. there you go
0: yeah so let's talk about some of the cases in your book of the uh landings i am always fascinated by landings and uh you know that there are some that are really stand out um but i am not familiar at all with any of them that i can think of (laughs) in the uk so well that's
1: that's one of the reasons for writing the book martin i mean um some of the mainstream media not all but some of it and certain debunkers would have us believe that these encounters only happen in the united states in the desert of new mexico or whatever and we know that's not the case now when i first started in 1980 and to try and become a a ufo research and investigator um, i did some local media a lady rang us and she said philip you won't believe me you won't believe me you won't believe me and I'll give us a chance you know anyway she lived just up the road from us just a few miles in a small mining town called normanton so myself and my colleague mark birtzel uh we went to speak to this lady what she told us was <coughs> it was a day um a lovely sunny day and she had five children she lived in a cul de sac and there was no houses opposite and she lived in a terraced house which was an elevated house so there was five or six steps to go up to get in the front door just after lunch she was in the kitchen washing the dishes uh, one of the children who'd been playing outside come running in said mom 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 there's a there's a an airplane landed in the field um because at the bottom of this cul-de-sac were some trees and a little stream and then a field with some electricity pylons in. So she came out the front door, and because it's an elevator house, she could see across to this field. And she says, Philip, it, it wasn't an aeroplane, it was shaped like a like a Mexican hat. She didn't call it a sombrero, it's a Mexican hat, but mm-hmm. like a silver gray colour. So she got hold of the children, they walked down through the cul-de-sac through the trees, and you lose sight of this hill because there's a little dip. You come up the other side and the, the field is bordered by a fence this thing is still there on the ground but now there are three tall humanoid creatures beings whatever you want to call them all dressed in white we call them boiler suits you call them coveralls i believe
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and they were so close they could see that these these creatures didn't have uh gloves on their hands they had mittens
0: hmm
1: and they had a visor over their face and they would seem to be waving something over the ground one of the children tried to climb the fence but this lady who was called mrs westerman held him back these beings went to the back of this thing it rose silently stopped in midair and was gone in a flash so amazed she mm. thought this will be on the local television news tonight and she sat down to watch it nothing yeah She bought the local newspaper that week. Not a thing. She even asked some of her, her, her neighbors, if they'd seen anything, because it was a beautiful sunny day and Mm -hmm. and the children were out playing. That's why. And, but no, and she had no idea. She didn't call it a flying saucer or or anything, just this thing. And, um, we even interviewed one of the children's friends. He hadn't seen anything because he'd gone home for his lunch and he would come back a while later and, and it, you know all the excitement was over they were all talking about it uh, and uh, mrs westerman you know her husband worked in the mining industry just like my father did the children were playing a ball game like i used to play in the street when i was their age she wouldn't let us take a photograph couldn't use her name we didn't want any publicity we did all the usual checks we couldn't find any rational explanation for it martin so yeah they say this lady and the children are lying for some reason or they're telling the truth Mm -hmm. and and i couldn't find any reason why they were lying what is interesting um just before the the covid lockdown i did a podcast for someone i mentioned this incident but i forgot to mention the lady's name and um a lady from new zealand emailed me and she said i listened to you on the podcast philip i used to live in normanton i've actually immigrated to new zealand what was the family's name so i said it was westerman and she said my best friend was called westerman and she still lives there i'll i'll contact her and she did and that her best friend was one of those children from all those years back and she she changed the name now because she got married she got her own family uh, and we corresponded and she said "Yep, yeah, we saw this 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 and this and uh, that confirmed it again for me you know and that was the first landing case in in the uk i ever looked into martin bear in mind pretty much nearly all but not quite all but nearly all the books i'd read at that point were all american based and here is something that happened literally in my backyard I, I still only live a few miles from normanton now you know mm. i only live about 10 miles from where i was born and it just fascinated mrs westerman was as puzzled by the fact that no one else seems to have seen it i mean there's the the major motorway in this part of the world is called the m62 martin it goes from hull on the east coast and liverpool on the west coast and it goes right past Normanton. and he has thousands you know cars an hour go past nobody seems to have seen anything and that always puzzled her it really yeah. did but well it's funny
0: i i have a friend that's also i'm a fine art antique appraiser and i have a friend that's also one and he lives in uh montreal and uh we got a, a conversation one day as friends and i said well you know you might think this is kind of weird but i do a show on ufos <laughs> too bad i have to say that but uh but anyway he he said well I said let me tell you what happened to me you know i love hearing those type of stories but he kind of said the same thing when he was out. He had a, a party out on his deck, a barbecue with a of like 20 or 30 people um, all there. And they're watching this fighter jet chasing a disc. And it's like it goes one way and across the sky and then the other way. And all of a sudden it just takes off. And he says, that's got to be in. That's got to be on the news. I mean, yeah. it was uh, it was some type of celebration. Uh, I'm not sure what celebration, but there was a lot of people outside. Uh, during that holiday in the summer um but anyway he said that he just was totally shocked that it wasn't in the newspaper it wasn't on the news yeah so i get that and when you see something profound like that you just assume that other people have to see it
1: yeah had it been a car crash or a major crime or whatever it would have been on the news but yeah she she was amazed it was almost you had to be there at that location at that time to to have witnessed this thing i I mean that's just pure speculation i'm not saying that as a fact um Mm -hmm. but i don't know Um, we've run the story in the local media a couple of times down the years to see if it would draw anyone else forward not a thing i mean not Mm a thing and um so, so but that what it did i hadn't been involved that long martin um and it confirmed to me that I wasn't wasting my time. You know, it ah, was worth. Yeah. It was worth me investing my time and effort and money uh, researching this subject. I still thought I'd find all the answers in no time at all.
0: Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. But
1: but but it, it what it did it also uh, inside me kept this interest in in UFO landing cases, uh, and as Dr. Hynek called them, high strangeness. Mm. When you when you're up close and you're pers- and personal, it's extremely difficult to say that they have misidentified a conventional object when you're not literally only yard for it i'm not saying it's impossible because as soon as i say if i said it was impossible somebody would give me an example of why it's not so yeah it's it's, it's extremely unlikely i mean this mm-hmm. thing didn't make a noise um it was a dangerous operation for a helicopter because there was electricity pylons there. Why the hell would a helicopter land there anyway? There's nothing there. It's just an empty field, nothing mm. in it, but
0: grass, you know, um, did you ask them, did you happen to ask, pardon me, did you happen to ask them if they looked to see the landing, if there was anything at the landing area? There was no marks on the ground
1: at all. None whatsoever. Really? And this wow. was a time when crop circles were in the news yeah uh, so it would have been easy for them to say oh it looked like one of them circle thing is you know but, but mm-hmm. no not 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 a, not a blade of grass seems to have been dented uh, but it was only short grass and it was hard anyway so oh, it could, be, there could yeah. be a reason for that um being in the summer that you know the ground was dry um but no not a thing you know uh, and, and mark mark birdsall who was with me on this mark was quite a good artist and while we're speaking to mrs westerman and the children he's scribbling away i'm, I'm thinking he's taking notes but uh-huh. he's not he's actually doing an artist impression as we speak and he said wow did it look anything like that and she says oh yeah yeah <laughs> you know
0: uh-huh. and
1: yeah. uh, make of it what you will and that that was a kind of a catalyst if you like although i never thought of a book at the time but it, it was that case that has eventually led to my new book ufo landings uk all those years ago because i would collect encounters as i went along uh, from other colleagues from other publications or i would go and interview people you know face to face i'll give you an example another little case not that startling won't make the headlines but this happened uh in the middle of the second world war it was may 1943 and involved a gentleman by the name of john warren And he was based at RAF Ludham, which was in Norwich in Norfolk. Um, He was an armorer. So the the aircraft that they had on base there, he would fit them with their various, um, you know, bombs and bullets and so on. And he got a night off. So he went to a local dance and he said, you know, unfortunately, I missed the last train back. And it said it was a 12-mile walk back to base. And he said it wasn't the 12 miles that bothered me. It's the fact in those days, if you were late coming back, you could be in big trouble. Mm -hmm. And the chances of you getting another pass to go out were, (laughs) you know. So he sets off. He walks the 12 miles back. As he's approaching the base, literally on the road up to it, he sees this green glow up ahead. And he knows he knows there's nothing there. It shouldn't be there. As he gets closer, there is a a humanoid being stood at the side of the road. And it's got a it's got a box on its chest, and coming out of the top of this box is this green glow, shining hmm. up into its face, and it looks like it's got a big smirk on its face. But I don't know if you did it as a as a as a youngster, Martin. You put a flashlight under your chin. And oh put yeah. Switch it on. It had that impression, sister. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, behind this thing was a grass verge. There was an object on the ground that was illuminated. Mister. Warren said it looked like a bell tent. To the other side, again, further back, there were two more of these entities. It scared the living daylights out of him. He ran back to the base. Fortunately for him, a friend had been waiting up and let him in through a window, so he didn't get into trouble. And he told his friend and he said it's not in the book because he 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 asked me not to publish it then so i've kept that but i'll I'll, i can tell the story he said philip had i been armed i would have shot it Mm. i would have literally shot it because it it wasn't one of us this is 1943 middle of the second world war outside on royal air force base
0: yeah
1: Uh, he says, but you don't you don't take a sidearm to a to a dance you know
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah
1: And, and he, he he reported it initially, I think it was in the 60s or the 70s. And then he saw me in a, a local newspaper in the 80s and contacted me. And I, I went and sat in, in, in front of Mr. Warren in his home. Um, there were no books on UFOs or, or magazines. He wasn't interested in the subject at all. And, um, you know, there's a little sketch in there of, of what he drew and, and and a picture of him as well, I believe. And uh, it's just... A, another little fascinating case that you know you wouldn't probably find anywhere else martin
0: right i love the fact that you actually talk directly you know a lot of a lot of times when people are writing books it's all you know through research only and not through you know speaking directly with people so you have uh is that the case with a number of these that you've written about
1: i mean initially when i first began you know that was the way you did it you would write to them or you would phone them to make the initial contact uh, and then you get the car. I used to have a kit bag and in that bag was camera assorted lenses batteries you know extra film uh, a little tape recorder a notebook and a couple of pens uh, my mm-hmm. wife used to say what time will you be home I had no idea I'm not time I'm gonna get there there was no sat nav you know you had a map and you okay. figured out your own little way and um wow you know i interviewed like i said mr one Fortunately, when uh and mrs westerman were local so it just made sense that you know only lived two minutes away go and speak to them but another incident in the book um probably the the best well-known one uh involved a gentleman called robert taylor in scotland as you know the uk is made up of england ireland scotland and wales and in november 1979, he lived in a little place called livingston which is about halfway between uh, glasgow and edinburgh smallish town he was a forestry worker so he says goodbye to his wife gets in his truck with his dog and he's going to a little place just on the edge of town called deckmont woods parks the truck walks down a dirt track it's, it's a cold november day in scotland And there's a clearing in the woods, and there in this clearing is this dome-shaped object on the ground. Uh, It had a a skirt around the bottom of it. Mr. Taylor actually called it a flange. It's a skirt going around it with these little things sticking up. Reminded me of the old-fashioned, you know, airplane propellers. Hmm. And it stood there, you know, transfixed. And then from either behind it or underneath it came these balls uh, that had spikes on it reminded him of the second world war uh, sea mines
0: mm. but not as oh, big yeah. as those mm-hmm.
1: and because it was damp he could hear these things plopping across the ground as they rolled across the ground towards him they came up the side of him he felt a tugging on his trousers and he passed out ah. when he came around he had this high-pitched whistling noise there was a strong smell of sulfur mm. his dog was doing cartwheels and this thing had gone hmm. so he, he he staggered literally staggered to his feet up to his truck tried to drive it couldn't yeah i think he ended up in a ditch so he walked back down home <coughs> his wife's still at home he's covered in mud and she said what on earth happened to you he says i've been attacked so his wife rung the police and the police came mr taylor told them what had happened he went to the local hospital to be checked out but got fed up waiting he felt all right so he came back home the police went to the location and lo and behold in that clearing and in that clearing only were some marks on the ground Mm -hmm. and there were two like tractor marks and there was a variety of like u-shaped marks indents in the grass Uh, so they taped it off that night it was cold and the ground froze so it preserved these marks mr taylor's trousers were a heavy thick working man's trousers uh, had been ripped where these things had gripped him they were ripped right through to the skin they were taken away by the police and because mr taylor was such an upstanding member of the community they conducted a full forensic investigation which included them doing a diagram a detailed diagram of these indentations in the ground, photographs of them, and they sent these trousers to the forensic science laboratory. And they couldn't figure out what had caused them. All they would say is that these rips were consistent with what Mr. Taylor had reported as something grabbing him and pulling him upwards. And the case remained open. And the police officers involved have gone on the record since then. I went to speak to Mr. Taylor after he'd retired uh he'd moved from livingston to another town Uh, i went with my colleague from scotland malcolm robinson and he was a when you talk about a down to earth person martin you couldn't get any more down to earth than mr taylor so malcolm and i went to deckmont woods malcolm knew the location because he'd been there originally i think within a day or two of the incident happening the trees have obviously grown a lot taller since then and it where this clearing in the woods it still is the the local council had put a picnic bench and it was concreted into it so i just said to malcolm off off cuff why don't you get a little blast brass plaque made and screw it onto the picnic bench i'm sure nobody <laughs> will mind so malcolm much to his credit martin went to the local council with this idea and it ended up not just a little brass plaque but a huge great stone cairn with a, yeah. with a, with a plaque on it. And today there's even signage telling you about it. And that's all t- to Malcolm's credit. I may, yeah. I, may have, I may have opened my, my mouth and mentioned it, but I, I don't take any credit for it It was all down to Malcolm and you know, M- Mr. Taylor has, has, has sadly passed away. Now, uh, Malcolm Robinson wrote a whole book about this, but yeah. I have, fe- I have featured it in my new book, UFO landings UK. So mm-hmm. you see, a, you see a drawing of it, the the police diagram is reproduced and their photographs and one of the pages from their, their official report. And it's the only UFO landing case, Martin, in the UK that has had a full forensic police investigation carried out on it.
0: That's the only one I've ever heard of as well. Yeah. I did hear yeah. about that. And I yeah. I can't remember where I read about it, but we are out of time. Thank you so much. And uh, the, the book is called UFO Landings UK. And it's right down in the text uh, below or in the show notes. As always, uh, Philip, it's a real pleasure speaking with you. Uh, the pleasure is all mine, Martin. Thank you very much. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And uh, if everything is working fine, you should be seeing me back here with Charles Lear in just one minute.
2: The Believer is the chilling true story of Dr. John Mack a renowned Harvard psychiatrist and Pulitzer Prize winner. This is a outreach program from the cosmos to the consciously impaired. He risked it all to investigate human encounters with aliens. The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and The Passion of John Mack. Written by award-winning former New York Times journalist and author Ralph Blumenthal. Now available in paperback from High Road Books.
0: Available, June, 2022, from Flying Disc Press.
1: A book about the people involved in the mystery. Covering the golden age of flying saucers. Using newsletters, magazines, case files, official documents, and more. Sure to leave even the die-hard skeptic wandering. By Charles Lear New York, USA. The Flying Saucer Investigators. Available on Amazon. From June 2022,
0: the Flying Saucer Investigators, Flying Disc Press. All right, and uh, we're back and we're going to be coming right up with Charles in just a second. I did want to say that um, something came in while this was uh, going on. Remember, tomorrow night I'm going to be over at uh, right here on YouTube and Facebook as well. Um, with Becky Ferreira uh, talking about possible life on Europa. And uh, so Mark D'Antonio will be uh, joining me then as a co-host. So that should be extra exciting because of all the great questions that they'll maybe even both have for each other, but it should be great. So remember tomorrow night at eight o'clock right here on the YouTube channel. And I am going to run that eventually in a couple of days. That will go through the podcast feed as well. And so it gives me great pleasure to talk tonight to Charles Lear. He's been uh, doing some wonderful blogs over the last several years. And if you watch this YouTube channel or you are a subscriber to the podcast, you hear the audio blogs. He puts his great words that he writes into audio. He uh, composed a book and uh, we're going to be talking about that right now. And here he is, Charles Welcome to the show, Charles.
2: Hello, Martin. Good to see you. How are we sound?
0: I was we're all good. We're all good. Excellent, uh, it man. was great. Actually, we hung out in, at Pine Bush a little bit. That was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, it was. It was really cool. Good to see you, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was great. So I, I do want to first of all I, I want to thank you for all your great work. It's uh it's been such a pleasure. You really you really do a lot of research, and for and you, I know you're going back out to New Mexico, but you were out at Dave uh, Marler's archives, working away, digging through for a lot of these uh, blogs that you write, which I think is, uh, I mean, you really go beyond and 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 not just uh, googling stuff, so you I, go in pretty deep.
2: I think it's a bit of obsessive compulsive disorder, quite frankly.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad you have it about this.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. uh, you know, as long as you channel it, it can be a good thing.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. So the book. Um, I'm so glad that you wrote this. That you decided to to do this. And uh, I can't remember what that. It was about a year you were working on this, wasn't it?
2: Uh, two years ago I, I got started. Was on it two it. years? Yeah, I can't
0: yeah. I can't even understand how time seems like it passes
2: so quickly. I don't know. Yeah, that seems what like it's flying old folks. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right. That's right. So uh so it's been two years and uh and and uh at, I guess I haven't really had you on very long previously to ask you this question in the first place, because I know you have a, a v- whole bunch of varying interests um, what started you looking at this topic
2: to begin oh, with? Born interested in this. Um the <laughs> first the first book I actually remember reading was the Bermuda Triangle by Charles Bilitz. But when uh when you could get I had an awesome video store in uh there was in Williamsburg that had every UFO documentary you could think of on videotape. And I started just I I ran it every damn one and watched every damn one repeatedly. And the best thing was is that um, I, I like taking naps with them on because the synth music was really cool. And it's kind of like baseball to me. Uh, you know, it was interesting enough yeah. that it's cool when I'm awake, and if I drift off and come back, I probably didn't miss much. But you, you could also watch them <laughs> repeatedly that way. Uh, but what really got me. Uh, in uh deep was writing for you and um i actually started writing for martin because he used to offer this second hour as premium uh and in order to oh that's uh, right get that you had to uh it it was a little uh contribution via paypal i didn't want to get a paypal account i said hey martin uh i see you have a uh a a guest blog spot. Would it be cool if I wrote you a blog uh, on a regular basis? And could I get that second hour? He said, sure. So I started writing and uh, you're like my CBGBs, Martin, you gave me a place to be bad. Uh, So (laughs) (laughs) hopefully I've improved. I've, I've, I've learned a great deal just writing. I've actually uh, really um, studied things like grammar. So now I know like Things I I know what an independent clause is a dependent clause, <laughs> uh, noun pronoun uh, subject object all these you know uh, arcane uh, this arcane knowledge I've uh, acquired just writing for you, um, but it uh, so yeah that but uh, the, it 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 gave me I I developed um, really my play. I guess a niche, uh, a perspective, uh, and ap- mm-hmm. I guess an approach just came about how I like to approach the subject and how I interest, um, how I, uh, how I get the most enjoyment out of the subject. And that's looking at it, uh, factually and historically, and the history is fact. And, you know, what's amazing is you've got police reports, you've got, witness testimony you've got air force reports and yeah. all this documentation uh, that's real and i really like that and some of the stories they tell you're just like oh <laughs> okay um you know and yeah well i i like
0: the fact that you have you have um well you don't you don't really you, you kind of put it out there this is for the blogs you know you kind of hmm. put it out there and then you let the people decide, well, this is absolutely crazy or, or it's not. And but you you write exactly what they say and, you know, their witness report. And sometimes, you know, it's way out there, but yeah. but you still you still this is this is what he reported and then. Um, I like it at the end. Sometimes you have like a little bit of humor at the end, the way you, you know, uh, yeah, believe I like it or not, a, or it's up a, to you. A, yeah. A, yeah.
2: A little comic button. Yeah. If, if, if yeah. it's uh, appropriate, sometimes it'll just end. But yeah. And uh, I, I put everything under what I like to call my according to umbrella. So according <laughs> yes, to. Yes. According to. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's uh, some
0: really bizarre things. I mean, you did a four part series. I think it was four parts on that woman that, um, and she was uh, Irma. You know, let's see, how can I say this in a nice way? She would have she, a really hard time walking sixty-five miles. I think it was something like yes, that, right? Yes. Yes, yeah, yes, She was in uh, Brazil,
2: rather yeah. Um, robust. <laughs> yeah, that's the way so, to put it. Yes, yeah.
0: But um, but she in in the night when she said she was abducted by. Aliens or whatever. No, no, she... she.
2: That's what's cool. She didn't say that. Oh, that's, she, that's, right. I, that's right. That's what I liked the, about the, her. It so was other
0: said. people speculating. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. She was on. Um, well, the story is real quick for the listeners is that uh, she saw a bright flash. This is Argentina, uh, and next thing she knew, she woke up on the side of a road in a town forty kilometers away, which is about. Uh, shorter or longer (laughs) I think it's about 65 miles away Uh, somebody google that but anyway and the night before there was a police search for her her husband was just mystified where did she go Uh, she called her family from the side of the road and uh, you know the, the police in the town picked her up and she went to the hospital they examined her and you know, this, she had no idea what happened to her and nobody else did either. And the case was actually investigated by the uh, local district attorney in the uh, town where she was found. Uh, uh, they said, you know, as a criminal case, because this could have been a human abduction. Um, sorry. So she, uh, yeah, this was a real, this was, you know, a real thing really investigated and a strange story yeah when she was interviewed on the local television station yeah they kept saying so it's this where you were abducted by the aliens and she's i don't know what happened to me and she stuck to that which i admired a great deal unfortunately <laughs> very recently uh she started thinking she was impregnated by whoever took her uh and she came forward in the press uh, saying, you know, yeah, I, I think I was impregnated by uh, extraterrestrials and uh, I need to go get an ultrasound. And she right to the reporter, you think, Oh, you could sn- so she slip- went right there.
0: To- she went, no, no, that. she wow. talked
2: to the reporter and said, can you slip me a little something, something, I don't have very much money. Oh,
0: <laughs> so I'm she hit the
2: reporter this, up for money during the interview. Well, um, oh, that's yeah, perfect. There- <laughs> yeah. 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 So, That puts it into a really odd perspective, though, because in the beginning, it's it really seems like something definitely happened to this poor woman uh, that she can't explain. Uh, But then, you know, being rather unsophisticated, she (laughs) went into this whole different area. And for me, you know, that doesn't kill the whole story for me. Maybe, you know, I don't believe she was impregnated by aliens necessarily you know I I haven't seen any follow-up on it since but I had the press sure, sure just dropped it I I haven't seen a thing about it afterwards but you know that's an interesting example of how a case can you know there's a really credible core to a case and then all of a sudden something throws it out of whack I don't think it necessarily means you throw the whole thing out I, I think that was that, that's what really intrigued me about that case.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about your book. How did you approach um, writing your book, first of all? Did you decide to do it right off on, you know, like the historic cases? Like you like to dive into a lot of the historic uh, cases I, I, and a lot started, of the unknown cases. But...
2: Sorry, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, what really got me, I, I was, when you read The Mothman yeah. Prophecies by John Keel, He's got all these amazing characters in there. Uh, Jim Mosley, Gray Barker, Ivan T. Sanderson. And I, I, when I first, you know, read the book, I was like, "Hmm, who are these people? I'd like to know more about them. Uh, and i started learning about them i mean you know it's fascinating jim mosley and uh gray barker kind of torturing poor john keel by making prank phone calls and pretending they were like men in black or you know barker yeah barker talked to him as barker Uh, john keel has notes that uh doug skinner kept doug skinner skinner runs a website called Johnkeel.com. and doug skinner Mm -hmm. actually has John Keel's actual notes about this phone call from Gray Barker. Gray Barker was an investigator. He was the guy who investigated the Flatwoods monster case and wrote oh, about yes. it. in uh, they knew too much about flying saucers, uh, 1956 mm-hmm. book, I believe, but he investigated it in 1952. So yeah, in 1967, uh, Keel was investigating the Mothman and Barker. Uh, they started, he and Barker started off together investigating the case and then they kind of went their separate ways. Uh, Barker, at one point, it seems Barker called Keel uh, as Gray Barker, but called him Mr. Keel and said, You know, there's this case. Hello, Mr. Keel. Yes, uh, there's this case in Pennsylvania. I think you should investigate Mr. Keel. And he kept calling him Mr. Keel and kept acting uh-huh. like he didn't really know him. And is, is this uh-huh. Gray Barker? Yes, Mr. Keel. I'm Mr. Barker. Yeah. And and somebody yeah. had been calling Keel, pretending to be Barker's wife. Barker was gay, so he says somebody uh-huh. called me, saying you were my, you know, your wife called. Oh, Mrs. Barker isn't here, or something like that. But anyway, Keel has all these notes about this phone call, and it, you know, more <laughs> odds are it was. Barker uh calling him with a bizarre sense of humor uh you know uh yeah. <laughs> making up this whole thing and messing with him and mm. Keel was already crazy paranoid and so him him and Mosley mess Mosley and him messing with uh kill uh <laughs> didn't help so I I right. had to know who these people were so I, I started looking into it uh, and I started actually a couple times I, I wrote blogs about them. Uh, right. for you. Our, uh, yes. And then mm-hmm. I, I got the idea, you know, that it would make a really good book. Um, and I'm not sure if I had the idea for the book before, uh, you got, uh, introduced me to, uh, Philip, uh, the, the former guest, uh, uh publisher yeah. of Flying yeah. Disc Press. Um, yeah. but yeah, so I pitched the idea to Philip and, uh, he went for it and we were off to the races. Um, So, um, and what was really cool is writing your blog, uh, I learned where all the archives are. There are online archives that are just comprehensive. You can get, uh, you've got AF, uh, the Archives for the Unexplained, they're based in Sweden, they have a huge physical collection, uh, and they've digitized a good deal of it. Uh, Wow, now is that through?
0: Does uh, class fun have anything to do with that? Yeah. yeah
2: that's class fun. Class fun. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Great um, yep. now just so uh, the listener knows it's tough to find. So I'm going to give it to you. It's files, all small letters, smile files. Dot AFU. Dot S E. And that will get you the, the mother load, but they, uh, their website, it's, it's difficult to find. Uh, so I'm giving mm. that to you. Yeah. Uh, David Marler calls them the uh, the Vikings because they come over here and to our country and uh, raid our archives and drag them back to Sweden. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) yeah, so you have them, you have NICAP, uh, national investigations committee on aerial phenomena. That was Donald Kehoe's group or Donald Kehoe was the director of it. And essentially it Mm -hmm. was his group. They've got, they still have an active website that's run by Fran Ridge. You can find a lot of their case files on that website. Um, the Center for UFO Studies, the group started by J. Allen Hynek in 1973. They have, you can find their case files there. And they're my favorite. They're comprehensive. And um, uh, and there are, there are archives.com or .org, archive.org. So there are so many... Uh, uh, archives just available online and i discovered all these and bookmarked them writing for you so when the time came time to write the book it was just bang 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 you know
0: well you can see this down in down below uh peach paulison says someone type that in the show notes please and so uh so when we get done here i'm going to ask you to email me uh those mm-hmm. links if you would and give away all your precious sources uh mm-hmm. but we'll have that in the uh show notes and I'll try to remember to put that down into the YouTube video as 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 well in the notes down there. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 great. It's it's accessible Let me give a shout out.
2: Shout out to Peach. Hi Peach. Good to see you, Daryl. Oh, you know who that is. Yes. Oh, yes, I do. I know her very well.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep. So so yes, I will put those in uh so I'd say in the you know within the next uh, several hours, they will be in the show notes and when uh, most people listen to this through audio um, you can always get to the show notes through audio. The link is always there, and as well as, and I'll put them in in Facebook and in uh, YouTube here. So we'll have all that. So anyway, um, so that's great. I'm I'm glad you uh, you decided to do this. I saw that in chapter one. You might as well. I think it's chapter one or oh, chapter one is called "What If." so why mm. don't you explain kind of what what if that sounds okay. that's good, well
2: this is this is kind of funny I, I i just did a uh a show uh i'm not going to name them but uh they they broadcast uh from uh, one coast to the other coast uh i think the, we, <laughs> we in two hours we never got past chapter three and i'm pretty sure the uh the guy only read three chapters but i'm um, uh, in any case, uh, he, but he he was comprehensive in his questions. They they were really good, and we had a great chat. Uh, but what was a, a shame is the first three chapters. I have um, the are some very sketchy cases. You have the Maury Island case. Oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You also have the Shaver mystery. You know, Hollow Earth uh, with. Uh, uh, the Daros, uh, who live underground and control us up here on earth with, uh, uh, <laughs> mind control rays. Um, and, you know, so I, have have all these, and also we, we got in a little bit into, um, the, uh, the Aztec New Mexico crash written about by Frank Scully, which, uh, mm-hmm. involved, uh, But it turned out to be two con men uh, selling an oil that they they were selling oil leases, telling their prospective suckers that uh, they had a device that could find oil. It's something known as a doodle bug uh, and that they made it with uh, technology from a crash flying saucer, uh, Silas P. Newton and uh, Leo Kabauer. So, you know, so these are the only cases we talked about, about, you know,
0: I got it, but Why don't we stop there for just one second? Because I want sure. to talk a little bit about that because we're both I, I'm a huge fan of Dave Marler. I know you're a, you really like Dave Marler a lot. Uh, you spent a lot of time there, but he is he has surprisingly he's all behind Scott and Susan Ram Ramsey's idea that the Aztec crash really happened.
2: Yeah, you mentioned Which that is,
0: yeah i mean he really thinks it happened and uh, you know so i had them both on along with someone else and i questioned them about you know the 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 whole con man thing they seem to have kind of an answer for everything um yeah. surprisingly and you know this is where it gets really cloudy like you can't really tell what's real and what's not real um you know it, it's really it's really one of those cases like it, you, you kind of go back to it and say, well, what if, you know, because of this happened or that happened, but they, they seem totally convinced. And I'm, I'm surprised to say that Dave Marler um, believes that they are onto something. So mm-hmm. what are you, what are your thoughts about that in general? I mean, that particular case, when you look into it, I mean, it seems like it was a con type of thing more than. It's hard it's hard to tell though.
2: well no matter what it's funny <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So. you know
0: for the for the for the person but,
2: that, I mean it... you know that they're talking that they said uh 16 bodies dressed in uh the manner of the I think it was the 1820s <laughs> so you know talking oh, space I, aliens I, probably dressed in uniforms with brass buttons down on them
0: you know um, Maybe they invented a time machine a long time ago. Who knows?
2: Yeah. Well, in any case, uh, <laughs> but you know, you can make the argument uh, that this was based on. You know, where did these guys hear about this crash? Did these guys hear about an actual crash and then, you know, make up their own shuck and jive around that in order to sell their doodle bug uh, You know, or, you know to, to their their scheme. Uh, you know, you can make that argument, and I'm open to it. Absolutely. And, you know now can you kind of uh,
0: there's a for the news new person that's not uh that has just started listening they may have no idea at all about this crash do you know any details about that in particular of what was said to have happened
2: uh it shows up in Frank's Sc- Frank Scully's book Frank Scully wrote for variety um mm-hmm. and what happened to, uh, the articles showed up in a denver newspaper that this guy had given a lecture about crash flying saucers i think it was three in america and one in africa and who was this mystery man uh and they found out it was silas p newton Uh, so scully actually knew newton so scully got in touch with him and I think he wrote two articles in Variety about this case, and then wrote the the entire book. And Newton introduced him, more than likely, to a guy named Leo Gebauer. Leo Gebauer uh, is mentioned in Scully's book as the uh, they uh, uh, behind the flying saucers. I'm pretty sure. Uh, mentioned in Scully's book as the mysterious Dr. G. So Dr. G is like the insider, the government insider who is um, examined the, the, the crash material. And, and another, I think he had a little sport model as well. Uh, <laughs> and so he gave, um, uh, and uh, in any case, uh, so Scully wrote the book and the book did really well. And, and the, the story is, is that on a mesa in Aztec, New Mexico, uh, they now have a very nice jogging trail around there with uh, uh, a memorial to the crash or information, you know, a plaque. I think they've got a plaque too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on this mesa, this really big disc, uh, 99 feet in diameter and according to scully all the dimensions were uh divisible by nine uh for mysterious reasons that only the aliens understand and um (laughs) uh in any case the book did brooks and and he talks about them bombarding it with geiger counter rays (laughs) i mean it's (laughs) it's a little technically inept the way he described it uh so they made sure it was safe and then they pushed they saw a, a, a hole in the ship they pushed a stick through the hole and poked a button and the ship opened up and there were 16 <laughs> bodies in there uh yeah. I think I didn't were,
0: hear this particular account so yeah I no. think they were yeah.
2: between four and five feet tall uh their skin was uh chocolate brown uh, turned chocolate brown they were burned because. they they speculate, uh, by our atmosphere. Uh, and they were dressed in the manner of the, uh, 18, it might've been 1890s. (laughs) Um, so that, that was the story. Um, and actually Scully's book, it's like this, this much of Scully's story, uh, in the beginning, he has a lot of, uh, astronomical facts. And in the end, he has all these, crash reports taken from newspapers, that is actually, to me, really valuable because that's a lot of archive stuff that might have just gone missing. So you've actually got actual, uh, not crash reports, but UFO reports uh, in his book. And the beginning is this astronomical stuff that's pretty accurate. And then you've got the story kind of sandwiched in there. Um, So that's the genesis of the story. Well, what happened was this guy, JP Khan, wrote an article for True Magazine. And he looked into it and he smelled a rat and he looked in the Silas P. Newton, Uh, Silas P. Newton uh, basically passed him off himself off as a big man in the oil industry. Uh, Khan found his office. It was basically uh, uh, two rooms and a, you know, uh, an office for the secretary and uh, I think it was in Denver. Um, he had a chat with uh, Newton claimed to have uh, uh, rediscovered the Rangely oil field uh, at the time, a subsidiary of uh, Standard Oil was running it. And so Khan went out there to talk to them. He said, no, he didn't. And uh, yeah. then the guy told him, you know, what this guy does. He says he runs a doodlebug operation. Uh, he brings people out and, and uh, you know sell some worthless oil leases. Uh, so Khan, <laughs> Khan, you know, uh, went in on uh, uh, Newton. He, he got introduced by Scully to Newton, and Newton was flashing around this piece of this crash-flying saucer, a, a aluminum-looking disc. Khan had his own made and actually managed to switch... The disc, and take the one that Newton had, uh, and switch it for his own. Uh, Con went and tested the <laughs> disc. Turned out to be ordinary cookware aluminum that, that melted at the proper temperature, <laughs> uh, not like uh, twenty-five thousand degrees that, <laughs> or something like yeah. you know something yeah. big that uh, Newton claimed. Um, so you know, he, and he, so he wrote the whole article about this, basically. You know, exposing who Newton was, and he also tracked down Leo Gebauer, uh, and pretty much said, "I think this guy was the mysterious Doctor G." And then he wrote a far. He people saw this article and started saying, "You know, I, I, these guys took me. These guys took me." And and Khan put out the word, you know, because statute of limitations was running out. Khan put out the word like, "Hey, you know, you." if anybody wants to prosecute you, you better do it soon. And he found somebody, I think Newton and uh, Gebauer took him to the tune of over $300,000 and we're talking, you know, 1947 money. <laughs> okay? Or
0: millions, no. millions today, probably wasn't, a million and a half today.
2: Yeah. It no. wasn't 47. It was a, a little later than that. Uh, I think, yeah. The, so they went on trial. Uh, yeah. This was, uh, must've been around the fifties They they went on trial. Oh, no, no. Yeah, this guy brought charges against him and they went on trial in Denver and were found guilty uh, and ordered to pay restitution. So the mm-hmm. first thing Newton did to uh, get up some of the money was sell worthless uranium stock. <laughs> and he got busted uh. for that. But somehow he stayed out of prison. And so that the conspiracy theorists take that. How did this guy you know, get convicted and not end up in prison for it. So, you know, that's a mystery in yeah. itself. But yeah, that's, yeah. so that's the story in the nutshell.
0: Yeah, um, thank you. So here's a question in chat right here. After all your research, do you believe concepts in ufology like men in black stem from practical jokes and embellishments, i.e. Keel and Barker? Interesting um, question.
2: Yeah, uh I've, it, they certainly helped the mythos. Uh, the mythos really got started with uh, the Maury Island case, which Kenneth Arnold actually investigated. That's uh, chapter two in the book. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he, uh, Kenneth Arnold, uh, at the behest of Ray Palmer, Ray Palmer published uh, Fate magazine uh, with Curtis Fuller in the, uh, uh, and took advantage of the uh, uh the Flying Saucer mystery as soon as he could. Uh, Palmer was a little uh, behind the ball. Uh, He was uh, editor at uh, Amazing Stories and he was getting in trouble for publishing too many uh, Shaver mystery stories. And the, the, the readers were getting fed up with him and the management. And they also were going to move. So he and Curtis Fuller said, you know, let's start our own magazine. And he was eager to get started with the Flying Saucer thing. So he published Fate Magazine. And he reached out to Arnold and said, you know, uh, write your story. But then these guys got in touch with him that they had uh, some strange material. And Palmer said, uh, is it, tell me it's from a Flying Saucer oh it's from a flying saucer yes sir yes sir so he got in touch with arnold and sent him out to Mori island to investigate well as he's talking to the these two guys involved this is a hugely complex story i don't want to get into you can look that up but uh what happened is one of the guys harold doll uh he and his partner friend chrisman uh ran a uh uh, they they called themselves a uh, harbor patrol they were really salvaging logs on a, on a boat uh tacoma washington and um doll said that a man in black uh, i think he I'm, I'm pretty sure he was in black i think he said he was in a black suit uh you know contacted him and wanted to meet him for breakfast drove up and they went out to breakfast together, uh, which was not unusual. That was often how deals for salvage logs were done, as, as Dahl described it. And so Dahl told Arnold that this guy knew everything about their sighting. Their The Dahl's claimed to have seen six donut-shaped uh, flying saucers, uh, one of which was in trouble and dumped a whole bunch of material uh, uh, while he was on the boat out near Maury Island, uh, near Tacoma, Washington. Uh, uh, broke his son's arm, killed his dog. So uh, right. the story yeah. Um yeah. And um, so this guy claimed to have no, told him everything. Uh, according to Doll, this guy told him everything about he had seen. It relayed the whole experience to him, and uh, like he was there. And then said, "You know, if you care about your family, you'll shut up about this." So that's the first mention as far as I know of, uh, you know, a modern flying saucer, man in black. Uh, then you have Albert K. Bender, Albert K. Bender, uh, started the international flying saucer bureau in 1952. Uh, that was the first one to go international. Hence the name, uh, The Aerial Phenomena Research Organization started by Coral E. Lorenzen started in late 1951, but he was the first to go international, so he got big really fast, and he only lasted about a year. It started October 1952, and in October 1953, he put out his last issue of Space Review, which was their publication, uh, saying that... uh, he he was going to have to shut down the bureau because, uh, um, um, uh, there were people's essentially, uh, this, I forget what the action, I I should reach all the way over here and look it up. And then anyway, he, uh, the story came out that he was visited. I forget what he wrote in the, uh, space review, but, um, It it was basically announcing he was shutting down the Bureau. And then the story came out that he said he was visited by three men in black who told him uh, to stop talking about flying saucers. He claimed they told him the secret, uh, but he couldn't tell anybody else. So, and then he shut the the Bureau. Now- So do you think
0: that's the kind of the first account of men in black?
2: That's the first time they get like, you know, I I think the, the- a lot of people will say the Maury Island thing is the first account, uh, but that's the first oh, okay. time when. Yeah. After that, they become three men in black. So the three men in black enters the mythos from that point on. But there mm. are people who, you know, seem to credibly claim to uh, have actually been visited by men in black, and that's a weird thing. Lots. About
0: I, I, I agree with that. I've had enough. I've heard enough of it over the years.
2: And it's a weird uh, thing about 20. this thing is sometimes, uh, like Mosley, uh, Jim Mosley, um, who put out Saucer Smear until his death in uh, 2012, uh, uh, known as the uh, the jester of ufology, he wrote a great book called um, uh, Shockingly Close to the Truth, Confessions of a Grave-Robbing Ufologist. Um, <laughs> he talked to Bender, and he said that... Um, he came away with the idea that uh, uh, Bender uh, was couldn't handle it and had just made up the story as a as an excuse to close the bureau. Um, hmm. but but James Mosley, but yeah, that's where I was going with it. James Mosley actually uh, hoaxed a, just made up a report, made up a report. I think it was over the Wanakee Reservoir in New Jersey. He just made it up, and then after that, people started claiming that they were seeing UFOs. So there were actual UFO reports after that. Is it because Mosley reported, or were people actually seeing it? But one thing that seems to happen with the mystery is that, um, even if somebody makes something up, the mystery reflects it back, uh, and you know, you could say, well, it's just people heard the first person. Well, we're talking pre-internet days, really early. And sometimes somebody will report something or just make something up in one part of the country. And then somebody way far away in another part of the country where the story hasn't made the news wars will report the same thing.
0: And it's strange, a, isn't it? A, a lot it's of people like man- manifested.
2: Yeah. A, lo- a lot of people actually Believe that uh, the phenomena actually is some kind of consciousness that <laughs> reflects uh, yeah. reflects our own, you know, the, the machinations of the the human consciousness. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so you know, yeah. for me, I I don't discount the fact that people experience men in black encounters.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Someone. This is a question. To... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was it going to say, even even,
2: even though it seems that, you know, the, the first accounts were more than likely made up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's weird like that. A lot of things seem to manifest. You know, I mean, back in 1947, you know, at, all of a sudden there was a ton of UFO sightings and everybody was seeing them all over the place. Now, was that because they were looking for them or was imagination part of that? In 1952, you know, was another what they call a wave where everyone was seeing ufos all over the country yeah
2: 52 was crazy i I write about that in the book as well i mean that, that, that that the project blue book was overwhelmed i think they were working you know 14 hour days seven days a week uh and just flying all over the country talking to people and then yeah. that was the uh, the the Washington UFO flap two weekends in July in 1952. These things showed up on ra- four radars. Um, they sent a, they scrambled jets. Uh, jets would come in, they would disappear, and uh, jets would leave. They'd pop back on, and it yeah. freaked out. It freaked a lot of very high, very high powered people in the uh, Department of Defense. Uh, freaked them out. They had the largest. There's a
0: misconception part- too yeah. about that. Pardon me. Go ahead, go ahead. Finish.
2: Oh, they had the 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 largest press conference uh, since the war uh, over this incident. But yeah, yeah. what was the uh, misconception?
0: The misconception is uh, a lot of times when in 1952 o- UFOs over the Capitol, uh, you can Google that. I mean, I'm I'm doing it right now to see. Uh, there's images, and it basically shows the, in the image. It looks like there's actually UFOs flying over the Capitol. Now, I'm going to try to put yeah. this up. Um, here because yeah, those, that is that is those, not really what's are, happening
2: re- those are reflections of lights those are not that's exactly what, right that's those that's real, what i'm what they that, call that, yeah the only thing yeah, that's what i'm getting
0: yeah i'm getting t- the reason i'm talking about it is because when people google that they see this and then they think that oh there's the ufos this is not ufos this is the lights below it's a camera uh a trick of the camera so that's mm-hmm. not really no one saw the UFOs on the ground. That was all—all all on on radar, basically, right?
2: No, Wasn't no, there were, there were visual sightings. Uh, radar, from, oh, there were the radar, okay. yeah. They, they uh, but one the, one that radar.
0: picture doesn't have anything to do with it. Is what I'm getting at. Correct. Nothing
2: that, to do with it. But yeah, one radar tower called another radar tower and said, "Hey, we're we're picking something up that you should be able to see. Do you see it?" And they said, Whoa, well, yes, we do." <laughs> so, <laughs> so there were there, yep. there were visual sightings as well.
0: Yeah. And uh, here's just a, a question off topic. Um, just someone that listens to all your audio blogs. They want to know how long it takes to uh, create an audio blog. You put a lot of time into these things, I imagine.
2: Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I record them at three in the morning. It's the only time I live next to the Brooklyn Queens Expressway. Uh, so oh. <laughs> and, and I've got a lot of very loud birds and I, I live in a house with a bunch of people. So uh, that's a great time to record. Um, and so I've, wow. I've got a, a pretty rough morning voice. Um, well, I do appreciate, but we everyone. Yeah, I do it yeah. cause it's fun too. But so, yeah, so what I do is I, 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 say each sentence three times. Um, and you know, then I, I've got, you know, if, uh, a, a word, anything's messed up, I, it, I can pretty much fix anything that way. Oftentimes it'll just be the first sentence and the other two go away. So it takes, you know, it generally takes me about between half an hour and 40 minutes to record and about four hours to edit.
0: Um, oh, oh my God. Wow. Well,
2: I'm, I'm yeah. like, I'm a, obsessive. Uh, I, you know, I got to <laughs> get rid of all the breaths. Um, you know, I, there are like things you can do. I, I put silences I have recorded silence. I recorded silence, uh, and uh, I stick that in, you know, anywhere you got a, you know, and or clicks or you know all the the mouth noises. And um, there there is noise reduction. I, I do use that, uh, but it yeah. you know it, it it if it doesn't get rid of a lot of things. And and uh, so yeah, so I get rid of all the uh, the the sp- I put silence in all the spaces. Uh, the big ones, and uh, there's also a, a wonderful thing you should know. Everybody should know about this. I do it in uh, Audacity. Uh, there's oh, yeah. this plugin yeah. called the D Clicker. I love the D Clicker. So if you've got a dry mouth <laughs> and you got all, all these clicks and pops, it bang, they're gone. So that that's <laughs> that saved me about another four hours right there. Wow, <laughs> I, I do
0: everything the, live, and it just is what it is. You so, know, yeah,
2: you're, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> It is what it is. So uh, let's talk. I'm going to talk a little bit. Let's see. We, we have only uh, looks like about six or seven minutes left here. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about some of the uh, I like the fact that you did the Hynek crossover one. And let's talk mm-hmm. about because uh, a lot of people ask, you know, what what made a Hynek crossover? And there's been like the rumor. I know you looked into this a lot more than I have, but it was kind of a rumor that. Uh, the Socorro case is the thing that kind of made him cross over. What did you find out in your research?
2: He was super impressed by Socorro. He went back twice on his own time. Um, he oh, was super impressed. He went impressed on his own that. time. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was super impressed by that. Uh, so that that was probably a catalyst. It didn't like he wasn't in one day. Uh, uh, but you know, he and uh, Jacques Fillet, Jacques Fillet famous free, French researcher, uh, the model for Dr. Claude LeCombe in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, for those who don't know. Right. Um, Jacques Vallée, uh wanted to work... Clo- uh, they met... Vallée was very impressed by Heineck, uh and wanted to hang out with him, uh, like, you know, frequently, I guess. So there was a job Heineck taught at uh, Northwestern University. I believe he was the head of the astronomy department at the time. And he, um, a job came up for a computer systems programmer and Heineck alerted Valet to it and Valet took the job. So they were coworkers. Uh, And when, so that, uh, and they started doing the what's known as the Invisible College. People would meet and just discuss UFOs and, you know, what they could possibly be. So, you know, the, the, the influence of uh, Valet combined with the Socorro incident uh, opening his mind more, uh, that was both of them. It, those two factors just kind of led him. Uh, but he didn't come out publicly on the side of it until he met James McDonald. And James McDonald mm-hmm. was an atmospheric physicist and McDonald started investigating and he dove right in with both feet. Uh, and he became a believer real fast and he met with Hynek. At, well, he, he got managed to get a grant, uh, that involved, um, looking, working with uh, lasers, something to do with atmospheric physics. Uh, But part of it, they asked him to look into UFOs and said, look, we can slip you a little money uh, to do your UFO research and make it'll be justified. And we can, he made arrangements to visit Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, the office and the offices of uh, Project Blue Book that were housed there. And he went out there, he looked at the Project Blue Book files, and he was appalled. He saw case after case that that just, you know, the ridiculous exclama- explanations. I mean, there's some years where Blue Book was better than others, and Rootbelt, you know, had some integrity but uh there were other years where the guy in charge was just so anti uh saucer ufo that uh they would just explain cases away no matter what and he -hmm. also saw that hynek had signed off on a lot of these ridiculous explanations so he made arrangements to visit hynek and hynek oh yeah it'd be wonderful (laughs) to come out and talk and uh, they had lunch together uh, with Valet, and Valet writes about it in his journals um forbidden science and he, he laid into Heineck, uh, just said you know how you know how could you write all you know put your name on these ridiculous explanations. Why didn't you speak up? You know, you, you have a duty yeah. as a scientist. And Heineck said, which is true.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, yeah. yeah, but he's, it's also, it, it's interesting. Heineck was kind of, you could say was sort of in the same position. Uh, William Moore was with Richard Doty. It's like, well, I'm getting this information. And, you know, if I play ball, I'll still get the information, Uh, you know, mm. basically. And Valet defended him, saying, you know, if he speaks up, he, he loses. He's not going to. He's not going to be an insider anymore. They're going to just boot him. So, you know, but uh, in any case, McDonald um, McDonald haranguing him uh, caused him to go public. And he started going public on the side of uh scientific research uh for ufos uh in the press so he took a public stance he finally did do that um and it's mainly due to uh being yelled at by james mcdonald yeah as far as ah. i as far as my research uh, is yeah uh, uh, yes
0: <laughs> yeah so we are we're just we're right out of time here charles just real quickly what do, what was your favorite chapter to write in the book
2: um <laughs> That's a good one. I, I liked overt contact, uh, where there are people getting injured by UFOs. I know that sounds terrible, but I actually think that, the, the investigators dropped the ball on that because there's a lot of medical reports that nobody got that are gone forever of people getting hurt by flying saucers, UFOs, getting zapped, getting burned, right. uh, and yeah. there are a lot of reports out there. And uh, yeah, even though
0: Elizondo has been talking about this as, as well. And as some of his <laughs> last shows, Sorry. we're unfortunately we're out of time, anyway. the flying saucer investigators, and I'll look forward to those links that you'll be sending me. Thank you, Charles. Very cool. Great. Cheers. Thank Great. You, as man. always. Thank you very much. much. All right. Bye. All right, everyone. So uh, don't forget to tune in tomorrow night. Uh, we're going to be on uh, with, with, Uh, Becky Ferreira and Mark D'Antonio is joining me and that's on YouTube and, uh, Facebook. And next week we have Mario Woods. He will be on. Thanks so much, everyone. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky.